Hey guys, I'm Lorena and thanks for checking out this message today. We're so glad that you're here and we want to connect with you and your family. So please text River Connect to 97000 and you can also um, visit our website at theriverchurch.cc to learn more about us and all the upcoming events we have. And lastly, if you want to give to the River Church today, you can text the amount you want to give to 84321 or you can head to our website and click the Give tab at the top of the page. Uh, thanks again for joining us, and we hope that you enjoy today's message. Revelation chapter 21. Over the last few weeks, Jen and I have felt like our house has had a revolving door, and our kids have been gone different places and with friends, but one of the highlights of the summer is has been summer camp. Uh, as Keaton mentioned, we had just great camps uh, this year, so uh, Bell and Maverick uh, are high schoolers. They were at a high school camp. Uh, and then Ruby was at middle school camp, and then Mavis was at elementary camp, and so it felt like uh, we were bringing in all of the bugs from camp into our house, I'm going to be honest with you. But uh, they, we just, revolving door, this kid was coming home, this kid was getting ready to leave, and for me growing up, camp was a big deal in the summer, so it's, it's neat to uh, see my kids experiencing the same thing. But what I don't remember doing as a, as a kid, I see my kids doing uh, and that is, they are packing weeks and weeks before camp. Like, I looked forward to camp, like for months, like I can't wait, and you kind of have a countdown, you knew when school was out, uh, summer camp was coming up. But I feel like I walked into their rooms at times, and it was like April, and there were suitcases out. And it's like, hey, what are you doing? I'm getting ready for camp. And I'm like, you got like three months. Yeah, just want to be prepared. Uh, there was like this excitement. Uh, even Mavis was excited to, you know, to, to go to camp, and she's just getting aware of dates and all these different things, and so she's at that age. She's kind of coming out of it now where she'll be like, is, is camp tomorrow? No. Okay. The next day, is camp tomorrow? No. Next day, is camp tomorrow? No. Is camp tomorrow? Camp is never. Uh, you know, like just, just constantly like this excitement, this anticipation, uh, and they're eager to get there. We as people, we, we know that. We know that feeling of anticipation or of longing for different maybe events in our life. For some, it's a, a big trip you've been planning, or for my kids, it was camp, or maybe it's a, a bucket list type vacation. For others, there's a longing or an excitement or an anticipation about uh, a milestone in life. Maybe it's turning 16. I can't wait till I'm 16 and, and you, you get your driver's license and, and the car, or maybe it's graduating high school or achieving a college degree, or maybe it's you got engaged and now it's the months or the weeks leading up to the wedding. And so there's that, that excitement, there's that anticipation, there's that longing for that to be there. For others, it's the anticipation, anticipation of signing for and then getting the keys to your first apartment or your first house. Uh, for others, it's finding out you're, you're pregnant and they're going to have a baby. And so it's the eagerly waiting and preparing for you know, the, the baby to arrive those, those nine months. So we as people, we, we recognize that. We, we know what it's like to long for different things to happen. It's in our music. It's in our movies. Really, in a, in a snarky way, you could summarize songs as longing for someone Right? A, lot of, a lot of songs are longing for someone or longing for love, and then the other end of the spectrum is a brokenhearted song. 
And really, songs can fit, really, a lot of them in those two different categories. I love him, I love him, I love him, I hate him, I hate it, right? And the keys will change, and, but that's just like a lot of different music, right? And so we, we see that. We see that longing, and then we see the, the disappointment that happens when that longing is uh, not met. So life, we know, does bring tremendous joys, and it brings tremendous sorrows. So we know that longing, we also know disappointment. We know and we recognize each of us when a dream or a wish or something we prayed for doesn't happen, and our hearts are left with that ache or that longing, that desire. Paul in Romans chapter 8 says this, We know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. And not only the creation, but we ourselves groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons and the redemption of our bodies. So we have this longing, this ache in our hearts. We understand it from a type of a, you know, an event or a milestone or a, or a longing for love or a longing for belonging, a longing for friendship. We also live in a world where we see the brokenness around us. Uh, I'm not trying to make political statements here, but my, my son and I, we, uh, I woke him up. Well, actually, we, I, before he was going to go to bed, I said, hey, uh, tomorrow morning we're going to go on a trip together. I'll take you anywhere you want to within one 12-hour drive. I said, anywhere you want to go. So we pulled out a map, um, not on the phone, the big map. And I said, anywhere you want to go. He's like, can we go there? I'm like, no, that's 30 hours away. I said, bring in the scale there, buddy. Here's where we're at. And so he said, I don't know where I want to go. Okay, so listen, here's the deal. You don't have to decide tonight. You sleep on it. We wake up in the morning. I'll wake you up. I'll ask you, where do you want to go? And then we'll leave. So I woke him up the next day, and I said, hey, where do you want to go? He said, "Uh, Washington, D.C. I said, okay. So we packed up, got in the car, and... uh, drove to, towards Washington, D.C., stopped by Gettysburg, because I wanted him to see that, and then we drove down to Washington, D.C. Little did I know, I've been to Washington, D.C. a handful of times, but it was, uh, we, we happened to be there the time that Trump was going to be in court. So I said, son, let's, let's go see some lunatics. Uh, so, so, so we did. So we wandered over the courthouse, and, you know, and we watched people with megaphones, yell at each other this far away. <laughs> you're the worst. No, you're the worst. And they were not saying you're the worst, by the way. Uh, right? Screaming at each other. I'm like, these people have never met each other. And here they are yelling at each other about who knows what. Right? So you see the, the friction in the world. You see the fallenness in the world. As people, we feel that ache in our souls. We, we long for peace on earth. We long for a world with no more war or cancer or funeral homes or cemeteries. We have a longing in our soul for a time where no one else will go to bed hungry, where true righteousness will reign and justice will be for all. No more divorce, no more orphans, no more sorrow in this world. It seems like the older we get, 
Whether you're sitting here and you're in high school or older than that, you can become one of two extremes, I suppose. You can become cynical, as if that's just a utopian dream that will never come to fruition. Or you can become, in some ways, a humanist, that it's the human responsibility to achieve peace on earth. And I suppose some of that's why people protest and go to war and all the different things, trying in a human way to achieve what was lost all the way back at the beginning of the Bible. Revelation 21 is the fulfillment, is the culmination of the longing in every human heart. It's the climactic end of the scripture. As we've worked through Revelation, we have seen some catastrophe. We've seen Armageddon. We've seen the armies of the world unite against God. We've seen Jesus return on a white horse and bring about judgment. We've seen Satan and the false prophet, and we've seen the Antichrist cast into eternal darkness. We, we've seen the books open and every person who's ever lived resurrected to judgment, either resurrection to eternal life or eternal damnation. We've seen some really huge cataclysmic events. Revelation 21, John begins to come to the end. It says in verse 1, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. So the king has returned, evil has been defeated, the nations have been judged, and now Jesus is going to usher in his eternal kingdom. It's described there in verse 1 as a new heaven and a new earth. Now you can hold your spot there if you want to flip back to Isaiah. Isaiah chapter number 65, right there at the end of the book of Isaiah. One of the thing, things that I've been blessed by and also instructed on with the book of Revelation is that John, when he sees almost the indescribable, he uses biblical language to describe it. What I mean by that is he uses a Bible verse to go, oh, this prophet in the Old Testament was talking about that. And so he uses scripture to interpret what he is seeing. So he sees the judgment and he sees the return of Christ and he sees all of these things happening. Isaiah chapter 65 and verse 17, the Old Testament prophet says this, for behold, I create new heavens and a new earth and the former things shall not be remembered or come into mind. That's one of multiple places that we're seeing John use the book of Isaiah, the Old Testament prophets of Isaiah, a prophecy of Isaiah to interpret and explain what he's seeing in the book of Revelation. So go back to Revelation chapter 21. 
So he says, I saw a new heaven and a new earth. I heard a, a voice from heaven. And the voice said, behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them and they will be his people and God himself will be with them as their God. This is full circle back to what we see in the Garden of Eden in Genesis chapter number one and two. Mankind in harmony with God. So what do we see with the story of the Bible? Big three movements. We see creation, God creating all things, and then we see the fall in Genesis chapter 3, and then we see God in his mercy and in his majesty redeeming mankind. So creation, fall, and redemption. Here is the culmination of redemption. No longer is redemption a promise to be looked forward to. Revelation chapter 21 is the redemption of, of humanity. It's the redemption of creation. It's what Paul talks about there in Romans chapter 8, that all of creation groans for this moment right here. And there's a longing in the human heart for everything that is broken on the outside and on the inside to be made right. How is it made right? The answer is right there in verse number 3. The dwelling place of God is with man. Humanity can't make it right, but God does. That's why God so loved the world that he sent his only begotten son. So God in his mercy, again, and in his majesty, sent Jesus, his only begotten son, to pay the penalty for sin. Sin that we committed against a holy, creating, loving, merciful God. God who gave us everything. We turned our noses up at God. We rebelled against God and God didn't smite us. God said, I will make a way for you to return to Eden. I'll make a way for you to be back in fellowship with me. And so the dwelling place of God descends and becomes one with the dwelling place of man. It's a new heaven and a new earth. Meaning it'll be something similar but something completely different. There's some mystery there. God will be with us. Verse number four, look at what God's presence means in our being with him. Verse four, he will wipe away every tear from their eyes and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning nor crying nor pain or any more for the former things have passed away. There's what Isaiah was talking about back in Isaiah chapter 65. John is now saying this is the moment where it has happened. It has come to fruition. Judgment has happened. The, the catastrophe that is revelation has happened. The rebellion against God has happened. He has struck down his enemies and he has judged the nations, but he has rescued his people and his people who love him. And as we'll see in a moment, thirst for him are with him and being with him means what? It means no more tears. It means no more death. It means no more mourning. It means no more crying. It means no more pain. All that was before has passed away. This is why the angel, all the way back in Revelation chapter 5, says to John when he begins to weep as God is holding out the scroll. No one can take it. And John says, I began to weep. And the angel says, weep no more. 
There's one who is worthy to make what is wrong. He'll make it all right. He'll fix it. He'll redeem it. He will make it all brand new. And this is what God is doing here in Revelation chapter 21. And it has a, not just a, a big global, you know, epic type thing. It has a personal connection. Think about the tears that you and I have cried, the brokenness that we have experienced. Whether that's from pain in our life, pain that was done against us or pain that we caused, caused to other people or, or caused against our own selves. The ramifications of sin, the mistakes that we've made. It's caused tears, it's caused brokenness, it causes hurt, regret. In verse number four, being with the Lord, he will wipe all of those tears from our eyes. Even death will be no more. We see that death was thrown into the lake of fire. Paul says this in 1 Corinthians 15, 54 as kind of a a precursor. He's looking forward to the future. He says, death is swallowed up in victory. Oh, death, where is your victory? Oh, death, where is your sting? This is a a beautiful kind of mystery in the scripture of the already and not yet of the gospel. If you've come to know Jesus, the already is that you have been given the gift of eternal life. But there will, there will come a day where right now we've not fully embraced that. But, so it's the not yet, but one day we will fully embrace it. So we'll say, death, where is your sting? It won't be, I'm looking forward to death not having a sting. It will say, now I can look back and say, death, where is your sting? Because now I am living in the new heavens and the new earth, and there is no more tears to be shed, and there is no more death to be experienced. There's no more mourning. There's no more crying. All the personal, physical, emotional, spiritual pain I've experienced has been taking away. The former things have passed away. And this is the longing in the human heart. People spend their lives trying to overcome pain, emotional hurt, spiritual hurt, physical hurt. Trying to prolong life as much as possible because there's a a slavery, as Hebrews says, to the fear of death. But there is coming a day where that will all be done. And the reason it will be done is because God is present with man and man is with God. It is the dwelling place is now one. Look at verse number five. And he who was seated on the throne. If you remember anything from the book of Revelation, remember that everything happens from the throne of God. He is sovereign. He is seated securely on his throne He who was seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. All things new. For some, the longing is for a new body. Because maybe there's a brokenness or a disability or a physical struggle that you have and you long for that day when you'll get a new body. Some, it is not just the new body, but it's the new mind. It's the brokenness of the mind, maybe uh, anxiety or depression. Maybe it's the brokenness of your mind because of sin. 
things that you just, you need the Lord to scrub out of your mind. Lord, give me a new mind. For some, it's the new name that he's promised to us. But the longing in the human heart is for those things. And I want you to hear this, and we'll look at this in just a moment. The source of those things is only the Lord Jesus Christ. He is the one who is, he is the only one who is able to give you those things. And so people work their entire lives trying to find peace. And people work for their entire lives to find healing. And Jesus is saying, I offer that to you. I will make all things new. Now I love, verse number five makes me laugh. One commentator says, it seems that John has lost his attention. He's, he's so in awe. And so the Lord has to get his attention against us. He says, also, he said, write this down. It's like John is like, oh, my goodness, this is the most amazing thing. And God's like, hey, back to writing there, buddy. Okay? Right, this is, we're on the clock or something like that. So he says, write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. These words are trustworthy and true. Look over at uh, Revelation chapter number 19 in verse number 11. This is the return of Jesus. He's riding on a white horse. So John says, Then I saw heaven open, and behold, a white horse. The one sitting on it is called faithful and true. Paul says it this way in 1 Corinthians 1.20. He says, For all the promises of God find their yes in him. So here's what John is seeing. He's seeing and he describes it further on in verse number nine down at the end of the chapter, which we won't have time to look at. But he, des- he describes heaven descending to earth, but it's not just the, the heavens that we know as the sky and the stars and the planets, but it's a, a whole new thing and it's a whole new earth beneath his feet. And God's dwelling place and man's dwelling place are becoming one. And he describes that in some just majestic, crazy, exciting language. And then he says, man, in this kingdom... Where God is and man is now is like Eden back at the beginning of the Bible. There's no more death. There's no more decay. There's no more tears. There's no more sadness. Here's why. Because God is making all things new. And to make it just affirmed, God says to John, write this down. For these words are trustworthy and true. Here's what I want you to know. When God says it, It's trustworthy and true. Maybe you've been lied to by someone. Maybe you've been lied to by a pastor or a spiritual leader of some kind. I'm sorry for that. I know that causes pain in your life, but here's what you can know. You can open the word of God and what Jesus says is trustworthy and true. All the pain that you have endured, all the tears that you have shed, all the abuse that you've gone through, there will be a day where that will come to an end and all things will be made new. Jesus says to John, write that down. It's trustworthy and true. Verse six. And he said to him, it is done. And it sounds like what Jesus cried from the cross Paid in full, it is finished. What's happening here is it's done. Chapter 21 is the end of all things. And notice who's bringing the end about. I'm not even trying to be snarky here. 
It's not global warming or climate change. There's no meteor causing a, you know, an, a catastrophic event in the world. You know who's bringing the end? It's God Almighty. He's bringing the end so that he can bring about a new beginning, a new heaven and a new earth. So he says, write this down. It's trustworthy and true. And here it is now in verse 21. It's not coming in the future. Jesus is saying, it's done. It's done now. So here we are in the narrative of the Bible. If, if we could say it this way, right? We're looking at the narrative so that's the beginning of time over there and we have all these things and we have the cross over here and the resurrection and we have some church history. And so here we are, so we're, we have that you know, over there in our lives and we have this to look forward to. And so that longing that's hardwired into our souls is the long wire, uh, is, is hardwired, it's the longing for resolution. Right, sometimes I like to use this illustration, sometimes it works better than others, so hopefully it works well today. But we're hardwired as humans to want resolution. So over break, my wife said I couldn't read anything church-related. That's really hard for me. So I started by reading a biography of an Anglican pastor, not church-related. Uh, it was. So she said, you've got to find something else. So I don't read many biographies, but over break, I think I read seven. I need resolution. I need an end. I need wrap everything up. I need epilogues. I need to know what happened to characters. I need to know what happened to different situations. I need closure. I remember reading The Hunger Games. I know that really makes you think less of me. But I remember reading that third book, if you've read The Hunger Games, by the way, and going, wait, did someone rip pages out of my book here? It did not give me the closure that I wanted, right? Katniss should not have ended up with Peter. But anyways, I digress. Okay. Right? Am I right on this one? I'm wrong? He's a loser. I beat that guy down. Him and his four foot ten self. All right, anyways. We've digressed, by the way. We have gone off the rails. I need closure. And you're wrong, by the way. Uh, so I need closure with books. We need closure with music even, right? So if I were to go, bum, bum, bum. Like you need closure. Like we're hardwired to need a conclusion. Revelation 21 is the conclusion. Jesus is saying, I'm doing this. I'm making all things new. Write this down because I need you to know that this promise is trustworthy and true. It's done. Verse 6. He said, I'm the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. So what's Jesus saying? He's saying, I, I, was, I, I made the beginning happen, Alpha, the Omega. So that's the first and last alphabet, or first and last letter of the Greek alphabet, meaning I was, I'm, I'm the beginning and I'm the end. I'm, I'm the whole thing. I've been there the whole time. It's not like God created things and showed up at the end and went, wow, we got to piece something together here. No, he was, he was orchestrating the whole plan from beginning alpha to the end omega. So he says, I'm the alpha and the omega, the beginning and the end. And then here's the invitation. To the thirsty. 
to the thirsty. I will give from the spring of water of life without payment. This is another reference to Isaiah, Isaiah 55. It's an invitation to come and drink. Thirst is something we all understand. It's, it's, a, it's a, a feeling we, we, all, we all appreciate. When you're thirsty, you go get something to drink. In the ancient world, obviously things were a bit different. But thirst is a universal need. So here, God is saying, to the thirsty. What does Jesus say in Matthew chapter number 5? You don't have to turn there, you can just hear it. In the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus said, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. In Jesus' conversation with the Samaritan woman, sometimes we call her the woman at the well, they're standing by a source of water. And Jesus said to her, everyone who drinks of this water, meaning the well there, will be thirsty again, meaning you're going to have to come back here again. But whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. A few chapters later, in John chapter 7, and verse 37, Jesus stands up on the last day of the feast, and he says, If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. So here in Revelation, we see what? An invitation to those who are thirsty, those who have a need, those who have a craving, those who have a thirst that needs to be quenched. The Lord says to the thirsty, I will give him from the spring of water of life without payment for free. The one who conquers will have this heritage and I will be his God and he will be my son. You see this invitation later on. Flip over to Revelation 22. Revelation 22, 17. John is concluding the book. He says, The Spirit and the bride say, Come. And let the one who hears say, Come. And let the one who is thirsty come. Let the one who desires take the water of life without price meaning it will cost you nothing. It costs Jesus everything. He paid the price. This, this imagery or this understanding of thirst, you see it in different places. You can just jot this down in your notes. Psalm chapter 63, David says, Oh God, you are my God. Earnestly I seek for you. My soul thirsts for you. My flesh faints for you as in a dry and weary land where there is no water. Earlier in the book in Psalm chapter number 42, verse number 1, the psalmist says, As the deer pants for flowing streams, so pants my soul for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. There was a thirst in the human heart that only God can satisfy. 
Now, look at the passage. Revelation 21. Jesus said, I'm making all things new. Write this down because this is trustworthy and true. It's done. I'm the beginning and the end. And now I'm inviting those who are thirsty to come and drink and be satisfied. The one who conquers will have this heritage and I will be his God and he will be my son. But look at the warning here in verse eight. But as for the cowardly, the faithless, the detestable, as for murderers, the sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars, their portion will be in the lake that burns with fire and sulfur, which is the second death. If you take verse 8, and you think about those things, that's what people often try to satisfy that longing or that thirst in their soul with. You see sexual satisfaction. You say people try to satisfy that. You might think people try to satisfy themselves with murder. They try to satisfy themselves with power. Idolatry. Lying. Sorcery. You can go all through those things. The world is trying to satisfy a hunger, a thirst in their soul that will leave them empty in rebellion against God and ultimately sentenced to eternal punishment in the lake of fire, which is the second death. So the invitation is to come and drink. St. Augustine says this in his confessions. He says to God, he says, you have made us for yourselves, O Lord, And our hearts are restless until they rest in you. I was standing by the back door today. I was trying to say hi to some folks that were coming in there. I'm so blessed when I see uh, each of you come in, but particularly I'm so blessed when I watch middle school, high school, college age, young men and young ladies come in. I I, I can't even express to you how blessed I am that you're here. I really want you to know that. Uh, Even if you're wrong about Hunger Games, I'm glad you're here, okay? (laughs) We'll debate afterwards. But I think about you And all of the things that this world will try to entice you with. And will say, this satisfies. Or they'll say things like, you need this. You can't live without this. And so you have to have this career. You have to have this technology. You you have to look like this. You have to be this. And it just entices you with all of these different things. Jen and I were talking over the last couple days. 
I was struck over break as I was thinking about a passage in Ecclesiastes where Solomon, who had everything the world could offer, the wealth of Solomon, the wisdom of Solomon, I'll just alliterate all of them, the women of Solomon. Solomon had everything that you would think a person could dream about. He had power, he had authority. People flocked to him just to be in his presence because the sight of Solomon was so amazing. And he said it was all hollow and empty and fleeting. Called it all vanity. And I hope that some of you, young men and women, will turn your back on the things of this world that promise to satisfy you and you will run to Jesus. And you will see that he satisfies. That he is the one and only that will quench your thirst. And maybe you're here and you're my age or you're a little bit older and and you have been enticed. You've been enticed into sexual immorality. You've been enticed to power. You've been enticed to money. You've been enticed by those things and you found them just empty. You thought, man, I thought this was going to be the job. I thought this was going to be the person. I thought this job. I thought this career. I thought this amount of money. I thought this house. I thought this. I thought that was going to satisfy, but I'm more thirsty than I was than when I started. Jesus invites you to come and to drink. It's an imagery of turning from the things of this world, the wells of this world, if you want to take the uh, John 4 passage, and it's repenting, it's turning from that and saying, Jesus, you and you alone satisfy. And it becomes the spring in our very souls, this living water. People start to see that transformation in us. People start to see that life in us. People start to see that satisfaction, that peace, and that joy in us. And what is that in us? It's a preview of Revelation 21. John says in 1 John, he says, we know that when he appears, we shall be like him because we shall see him as he is. So standing with the Lord, the tears are gone, the sorrow is gone. What satisfied us in life becomes this thrill in eternity. I hope that you'll hear me, and I've been thinking about this a lot over the last few months. This is what it means to be a Christian. We have so diluted and watered down the definition of Christian to the point where it's not even legitimate anymore. We call people Christians simply because they don't go to the Jewish synagogue or they're not going to the mosque or they're not atheist or agnostic. They like Jesus. You're a Christian. 
And I don't mean to be rude or belligerent, but no, you're not. A Christian is someone who has abandoned the world and raced to Christ and said, Jesus, you and you alone satisfy. A Christian is someone who gets distracted occasionally by the wells of this world and realizes, this is terrible. I'm sorry, Lord. And we race back to Jesus who welcomes us and loves us and embraces us when we return. Is that you? Or will you be cynical and say, oh, there'll never be peace on earth? Or will you be self-reliant and say, we need to make peace on earth? Or there's this third option that's the only legitimate one. Jesus, the Lord of all creation, will bring peace on earth. And peace to my soul and satisfaction to my longing. I'm going to ask you to do this across the room. If you just bow your heads and close your eyes. Maybe you're here and you don't know the Lord. And I hope that in your heart right now it'll be a a conversation between you and the Lord, between you and God. I think the most bold prayer in the Bible is found in the Psalms where David writes, Search me, O God, and know me. Try me. It's an invitation to God to search your heart. It's not a, God, I'm going to put on a show and really impress you with my religious posture, religious vocabulary. It's God, I I might be so so self-deceived, I don't even know, here's my heart. Search me, try me. I think about some of our young men and women in here who maybe you're like me or like I have been in my life where you think, eh, maybe the world can satisfy a little bit. David said in Psalm 16, in your presence, you're speaking of God as the fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. Ultimate joy, ultimate pleasure, ultimate satisfaction is found in Christ. And we have to come to him. We have to turn from our selfish and sinful pursuits. We call that repentance. We have to acknowledge before a holy God that we've rebelled against him. We have to turn from our sin and turn to him. The gospel is that he died for our sins and he rose from the dead 
And Romans 10, 9 says, if we will confess with our mouth, or if you will confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart, God raised him from the dead, you'll be saved. That's the good news of the gospel. And that puts you in a place for the rest of your life to be able to look forward to Revelation 21. Not be afraid of Revelation 21, but to long for Revelation 21. For all that is wrong will be made right. The king will return. He will judge the living and the dead. He will destroy evil. And he'll rescue his people. Are you one of his people? Jesus, thank you for today. The chance to open your word and declare the end of all things. And that you bring it about, Lord. It's to your glory, but also for our great joy. And I thank you for that. God, I pray for some young men and women in here who may be on the fence. God is um, earnestly, as much as we preach the hope of the gospel, this world, Lord, is evangelizing to its own cause. Lord, and there are young men and women in here who are being enticed by the momentary pleasures of sin. God, I pray that they would flee from that and race towards you and the satisfaction that you and you alone bring, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand.